The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Hey, Rockheads, stop wondering what that big black button does and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan, announcing show number 516 with guest Ivar Jakobsen, recorded live Monday, January 4th, 2010. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter, and now offering SharePoint 2007 video training with Sahil Malik on DVD, DNR TV style. Order your copy now at www.franklin.net. Support is also provided by Telerik, combining the best in Windows forms and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com. And by Grape City Data Dynamics. Makers of ActiveReports.net, simple, powerful, and cost-effective reporting for Windows Forms and ASP.NET Web Applications. Online at www.datadynamics.com. And now, the man who's currently for global warming, Carl Franklin. Without any pain, gotta get enough Thank you very much, and welcome back to .NET Rocks. Carl and Richard with you. Hope you're having a nice 2010. Hey, Richard. Howdy, sir. Uh, did you have a good? Uh, you had a you had a good time up there. I heard about your neighborhood party. Uh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I also migrated to Exchange 2010, which was challenging. That's very cool. Yeah, I was having some server issues myself here right around the holidays. Hey, let's jump right into a little segment we call Better Know a Framework. Better Know a Framework is. Uh, uh, where I shine a little light on a dark and dingy corner of the .NET framework. Hopefully, uh, over time, you'll learn something. So uh, today I'm talking about the web client class. That's the system.net.web client class. Now, there are two ways. to You can use the HTTP web request to download files and to download things via HTTP if you like. But um, the web client class is, is a little bit nicer. It's just a little easier to use. And you can still do asynchronous reads and things like that. Um, but it's just, it's just a little bit easier. In, in the full version, you get uh, upload data, upload data async, upload file, upload file async, upload values, upload string, and you get the downloads as well. Um, open, read, async, download data, download file, etc. Cool. Download string. In the Silverlight version, which I've been working with, you just get open, write, async, upload string, async, and download uh, or download string, async, and open, read, async. So if you want to download a file, you uh, you would use open, read, async, and you get a little progress event where you can pull the percentage complete, uh, which happens asynchronously, of course. And then you get another uh, completed event where you can where you get access to the stream. So it's pretty easy and um, little a lot more painless. So you don't have as much control over some of the HTTP headers and things like that that you do with the HTTP web request and web response. But uh, but there it is, the web client class system.net.webclient. Richard, who's talking to us? Cool. I've got an email here from a fellow named Danny. And it says, hey, guys, I recently have been listening to your podcast, and it's really interesting to hear people talk about programming. I'm an intern software developer and have been learning about programming, as it is a constant learning process, since my high school days in 2002. I've been programming in .NET for a little over three years, 
and one and a half years professionally. And I presume by professionally, we mean being paid. <laughs> Working in an agile shop, I learned that the classroom level development did very little to prepare me for the real world. It was my ability to quickly learn, fail, and improve my skills that brought me to adapt to this line of work, and it requires you to be highly adaptable. To get to the point, after listening to the podcast with Jimmy Nilsson, mm. wow, there's a flashback yep. all the way back to the TDD shows, I want to take his and your advice and start doing more programming in my spare time. I've always had some side projects, but I never elevated them to production, whether it be open source or for my personal use. Hmm. The main issue I have with these side projects is the idea. It's like I have a sort of writer's block about programming. I was wondering what you guys do when you have the urge to program and want to start a new project. I'm sure there's no magic bullet for this (laughs) sort of thing, and I'm sure I could just kick out some idea. I'm working on an XNA game right now, but I'm wondering what pushes you up to start a new project, big or small. Thanks for your time. Loving your show. Danny. Well, for me, I just think of the most difficult thing that I that I absolutely don't think I could possibly do. <laughs> <laughs> that's where I start. And I'm trying to break it down. Um, you know, something that's Im- seemingly impossible. That's what I try. You know, land the space shuttle kind of thing. Whatever. Writing something really well, and I, I know there's always c- certain libraries that grab your attention too. Right? Yeah, that's I mean, like, I'm sort of into audio and music. That's where sort of my impossible stuff comes in to play. Yeah, I I think I tend more towards you know I write I always end up writing sessions based on stuff I'd like to go to but can't find. I think I write programs the same way. <laughs> where is that app? And I end up making it myself. Danny, thanks so much for your email. And if you've got questions, concerns, ideas from shows. Want to let us know how much you love it or hate it? Send us an email, rocks at franklins.net. Well, Richard, I'm really excited today because uh, we have an esteemed guest here, don't we? We certainly do. Yes, we certainly do. Uh, I'd like to introduce Dr. Ivar Jakobsen. He is the father of components and component architecture, use cases, the unified modeling language, and the rational unified process. He's contributed to modern business modeling and aspect-oriented software development. Lately, he's been working on a smarter way to deal with methods and tools in a super light and agile way. He has developed a practice concept that is now being adopted by both developers and tool vendors. Right now, he's working with a team of software leaders with the mission to build a widely adopted, strong foundation under software engineering. This initiative is called Software Engineering Method and Theory. S-E-M-A-T. He is the principal author of six influential and best-selling books. Ivar Jakobsen is chairman of Ivar Jakobsen International, which has subsidiaries in the U.S., U.K., China, Singapore, Australia, Sweden, and Canada. Welcome, Doctor. Thank you. Thank you very much. Has it really been 11 years since the, the Three Amigos published the book? Unified software development process. Uh, I have to count, uh, but uh, it was 1997, so it's a little bit. Ah, it's been but did you say unified modeling language, right? Yeah, well, the the book is what I was talking about, uh, the unified software development process, which. Uh, yeah, it was published uh, something like that, 1998. Yeah. Yeah. On one hand, that doesn't seem like that long ago, and the other hand, it's like, wow, it's been ten years. Where, yeah. where have we gotten to with this whole idea? Uh, first of all, um, there were a number of new ideas in uh, unified process. And, uh, for instance, a focus on uh, architecture, iterative development, um, use cases, and uh, component-based development. There were a number of other things as well. Mm. And uh, also the idea that... Um, uh, you could describe a complex process uh, in uh, in one context. Mm. Um, however, uh, so so this was new, and it was not very proven, uh, or, or or we had not really a lot of experience in how to move this into uh, into organizations. Um, personally, I had the uh, opinion and experience that this can only da- be done by basically quite a lot of uh, consulting and uh, people who had done it before. But um, uh, 
the company I worked with at that time, which was Rational Software, uh, was a pure product company. And it um, was moving and uh, trying to sell RUP, um, as it was called, Rational Unified Process, as a, as a product. And uh, selling it uh, um, in, in, without this consulting. Yeah. So uh, we were, I was just sitting there and waiting for uh, the day when it will blow up yeah. because uh, uh, it doesn't work like that. You cannot, uh, you cannot sell, uh, you cannot just throw out something like uh, a big process without a lot of consulting. I'd like to just back up a little bit and provide a little context to maybe some of those who don't understand the history of, of how all this stuff happened and how we got to where we are. The unified process uh, was the sort of the, the building block under which Agile and RUP, the Rational Unified Process, the Oracle Unified Method, the Open Unified Process, the Enterprise Unified Process, all of these variations uh, came about. So sort of Agile, which is what most of us know and love these days as a methodology or a process, sort of came out of your initial ideas. Uh, well, <laughs> I wouldn't describe it like that. Uh, uh, I think it's much more fair to say uh, that um, because of the, uh, the uh, in a way, success of this uh, initiative, unified process and and, and RUP, and also the, the, the success in terms of adoption uh, or buy into it. Uh, but uh, the adoption was not uh, great. So uh, uh, it became, in many ways, too heavy, um, too expensive to adopt, and too many failures because people uh, stood up and said, I know it, and I can teach you how to do it, but they didn't know it. Uh, so it was... Um, uh, I used to say that all these methods that are very successful, they uh, they grow until they die under their own weight, mm, and this right. is what uh, what very much happened to to Rupp. and uh, and and as as a counter reaction, we got agile. So agile is not, let's say, an evolution of. Uh, I wouldn't say it's an evolution of Rupp. It's con uh, on the contrary, it actually is a counter-reaction to this, um, this kind of process. Yeah. And, and with all these such counter-reactions, you get um, uh, good things and bad things. Um, they, the, the, in the Agile, originally, the Agile movement basically took a clear distance to everything that uh, was heavy and, and, uh, and, and like up. But uh, they also threw away everything good in RAP because, uh, like, uh, that is one of the most common mistakes we have done in the history of software engineering, is that we start over, all over with something new and we forget and we dismiss basically everything that uh, also worked very well. So um, <clears throat> Agile originally was against, uh, I mean, the Agile uh, uh, founders were against things like architecture, and uh, they were against things like uh, use cases, and uh, they were pro iterative development, but they basically renamed the whole thing and uh, uh, have a completely new terminology. So uh, <clears throat> I view Agile as a very healthy um, uh, counter-reaction to these heavy processes that were doomed to fail uh, in the long run. But it, I also feel that uh, uh, with all these new trends, they also throw away the good things with the bad things. So, um, but after another five years, we today see that um, it's much more balanced. Agile today is uh, not spent with capital A, but with... Uh, uh, the small letter A, mm. and uh, it's much more a part of everything we do. Agile is not just about programming and, and uh, coding, it's about uh, our whole uh, philosophy at, or, or approach to software development. Which 
brings me to the essential unified process, which is your latest uh, um, invention. Tell us how the essential unified process differs from Agile and all of these others. So now we are talking about something else. I mean, we uh, we started by a, taking a completely new uh, approach to think about process. Instead of talking about big process, we started to say um, uh, a big process is actually a composition of a number of practices. And these practices can come from every part of the world. It's not only from our part of the world, I mean, uh, unified process, but also from other similar processes or from CMMI, that is uh, uh, what came from Software Engineering Institute and uh, is actually the foundation of a whole Indian industry. Um, and we have the Agile movement. And there are many other camps in the software engineering world. And um, instead of talking about uh, a big method, we said there is uh, 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 whole, the whole world is consists of a, uh, a large number of practices, and you pick the practices you want to use. And uh, unified process has some practices. Uh, I don't know exactly how many, but I think we defined six uh, practices out of unified process that you could deal with separately. Mm. But the key idea, uh, I mean, you mentioned that essentially unified process is one of my newer um, ideas. Uh, well, it, this is uh, this is basically there is something more un important underlying it, namely the whole idea that um, uh, when we develop software, we use practices, and these practices can uh, be composed from coming from anywhere in the world, any methodologist, any methodology, any any technology, and you identify your practices and put them together, and in that way you you have you create your methodology. And um, inside a big company, you can have uh, uh, many different methodologies, but they are using. Uh, some of them are using the same practices, and some of them have unique practices. But uh, the idea that there is one methodology that will be used for all over um, is uh, is history. Uh, that's something we believed in in the 90s and maybe a little bit early in, in this um, decennium. But uh, at uh, now, now we believe uh, basically we uh, we will always have a lot of uh, practices, and the thing you do is that you you collect practices and put them together into a methodology. I guess the challenge when you're composing your own set of practices like this is knowing that you have sufficient process in place. And <clears throat> yes, this is about maturity. You know, some organization um, they are basically very they have a very little. Uh, software engineering um, experience and, um, and knowledge and uh, and um, maturity, so they they focus on the the rather simple practices, um, but like uh, continuous integration and uh, coding related practices. These are practices that you basically can learn at universities, whereas. Um, uh, in a larger corporation, you need many, many more practices to be successful in building large architectures and large systems. And um, so uh, uh, the, 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 big, uh, the big change is actually we don't recommend people to throw away what we have and start all over with a new methodology. Instead, we say use what you have and uh, identify which practices you actually have today. And then you replace some of these practices with uh, best practices or, or practices that you find more uh, proper for, for your organization, but don't throw away what you have today. So um, the whole idea, I mean, to go back to what's new here, we, we, we started basically by redesigning unified process as a set of practices. And you could keep these practices separate. 
In this process of redesigning unified process, and we created what's called essential unified process, uh, which we have um, implemented or helped many, many organizations to adopt uh, that were uh, previously using uh, RAP. Um, we learned something more important, namely how you actually can uh, create a methodology from practices uh, that can come from anywhere in the world, and you integrate them, and in that way you get your new methodology. And, and of course, the most important part of what you have is your existing methodology, uh, so you don't throw away what, you, what works, but only change um, what you need to be changed, and that you do practice by practice. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our friends at Telerik, who bring you the Telerik extensions for ASP.NET MVC. The extensions bring rich UIs to your MVC application. These are just announced, and this time they're not standard web forms controls tailored for MVC, but native, built-from-the-ground-up MVC components. There's three important things to remember. One, they're pure ASP.NET MVC components. Two, they're based on jQuery. And third, and this is the best part, they're completely open source. Just go to www.telerik.com MVC for more information and online demos. Make sure you thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. And I think it's an interesting idea to think you already have practices in place. You just haven't articulated them. You, you need to write them down or understand what you're actually doing. Exactly. That is, that's the new, because practices are the thing we have used for 50 years. I mean, everyone talks about practices and best practices, but they do it in a way that is not uh, systematic and uh, they cannot really easily compose practices because uh, they have to do that composition only in their heads. They cannot uh, document it. And uh, if you cannot describe it in one way or the other, light, of course, then it's very hard to change it, too. Right. It's just understanding what you're actually doing as much as uh, then before you try and change anything. That, that That's an interesting point. Do you think that you have to go through the heavy process once or twice or for a few years as a software developer, in order to know what to chisel away to make it lightweight and more, and more, uh, well, more lightweight. No, I I don't think so. Uh, first of all, we have well many things we learned uh, with the with the work we did on unified process and RAP. Uh, first, one of the things is that actually big process is. Uh, uh, is uh, not the way to go. Uh, instead, move. Composing uh, your process by taking practices uh, is is a much better way of doing. There are practice and patterns, and patterns are are just reusable things. But uh, but using so so that's one thing. Uh, the other thing is that uh, is about how you actually perceive a process. I mean, how do you document it? We don't. Uh, we know that um, uh, people don't read process books. This is a law of nature. They just don't do it. <laughs> so we don't need to write a lot anymore. We can, uh, uh, that was one of my mistakes, uh, if I should be really honest with you. Uh, I believe that uh, it would be very good to write down everything we know is true. Um, but, you know, people drown in this uh, knowledge. So uh, it's much better to focus on the essentials. And the essentials is... Uh, if, if you know the essentials, the idea is that uh, you have enough knowledge to be able to participate in, in conversations about what to do. Uh, and the essential is just a few percent of what an expert knows on a particular subject. Mm. So uh, in our case, instead of describing process on, in, in books, we describe them on cards, uh, four times six inches. And um, just as a comparison, uh, one of the most uh, the, the biggest practices we have is use cases, use case driven development, which starts with specifying use cases and and ends with testing use cases. This is uh, was in previously uh, documented on several hundred pages. Now it's on twenty three small cards, like <laughs> I just mentioned. I love this line in your uh, it, well in the Wikipedia entry for essential unified process says 
ESSUP or ESSUP is supported by a set of playing cards, each describing a practice. This is because Ivar Jakobsen believes that people buy his books, but nobody reads them. Uh, well, that is uh, that's an exaggeration, but uh, <laughs> uh, it's not too far away from the troop. Yeah. Uh, truth: uh, people buy my books, but um, uh, they, uh, I think, it's less than ten percent that really read them, mm. and uh, and uh, and that is not uh, enough to get critical mass. Right. Uh, but uh, these cards, uh, I I believe, we can increase it to much. High, and first of all, we educate. Uh, our training is uh, based is uh, using these cards as a basis, hmm. and uh, that takes uh, and and we can shorten the training uh, to two days for something as um, which previously took five days. Hmm. Um, but it's still uh, uh, the only documentation that is left in the hands of people afterwards are these cards. Yeah. So it's uh, that's one important change. The third thing I think uh, we learned um, in 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 those days is that um, process uh, people when they work they they may read the process documentation they may read the course but then okay. they do whatever they want to do um, meaning they don't necessarily do what they have they're telling their management they are doing they're not doing uh, they say we do rub but we don't do rub they say we do scrum but we don't do scrum so it's very important that uh, we have one way to uh, look at what we actually do the execution what we actually do and and that what we do should actually be reflected back in in what they say we do so there needs to be a feedback loop between what people really do and what they actually uh, describe they do. And uh, in that way, it's, it's the only way we can be sure that we um, know what people are doing and actually improve what they're doing. Doesn't this tie back to your original statement here about consulting? It's almost like we need an audit of our development practices just to make sure we're actually doing what we think we're doing. Um, yes, and um, that is something... Uh, I would do. I, I don't really believe in too much in 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 in. I mean, in the old days, you know, we had no other alternative. Uh, we did testing, and we did, um, uh, and and we didn't do that very well, by the way. Uh, and we did a lot of inspection and have reviews. And there is nothing more boring than sitting in review review meetings. So, because people focus on the less interesting, less important things. Um, so, um, audit, and we still need audits. We still need uh, inspections and so on. But it's much better if you can make that, um, in a way, uh, automated. So, for instance, uh, the way we look upon it is that when people uh, develop software, um, the way they develop software should be um, either follow what they are describing they do, or they actually, uh, while they do the job, they actually change the description of what they say they do. So that means there is tooling underneath it. And uh, so, so we have developed a, a platform which we which we use so people can uh, basically execute their practice. And that's a very important thing to not only, I mean, I, I say, first of all, to, to change the whole way you perceive a process uh, as practices. Second, that you don't focus on the essentials. And third, that you also make sure that you have this feedback loop between what people really do and what they say they do. I've noticed that you offer a, uh, a, a lightweight UML design tool that has is significantly less complex than most other design tools. Can you talk about that a little bit? So are you, now I'm not really sure what you're talking about. We have something we call the essential modeler. That's and, what I'm talking uh, about. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So this is uh, uh, as uh, other things we do open source, and it is a very simple tool to do um, what most people uh, basically do when they. Design software. It includes some simple uh, 
diagrams that include uh, some modeling, and it is uh, it 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 is useful for let's say applications. Uh, um, I, I would say that eighty percent of of UML, or only twenty percent of UML, let me say that is. Uh, will help us to do 80% of all applications hmm. in, in particular fields. So it's very little of UML you really need to use to uh, to model most uh, most problems. And uh, this tool is even less. Uh, it it uh, so we, we call that UML by way essential UML mm-hmm. uh, because it talks about the essential things in UML and. Um, that's something I would like to see that uh, future UML will will start identifying the essentials of UML, and then you can add on as uh, separate new features, uh, um, extensions to UML that are needed in some part, some special situations. And um, but and and this tool we are talking about here, essential modeler, is primarily. It's even simpler than essential UML, so it works in um, in some cases. You can actually use it to do um, most of the important modeling you want to do. And particularly, people don't want to do any real modeling; they could use it. But it, it's nothing we go out and sell or give training in. We just give it away, so people yeah. can use it if they want. Are people out there expecting their modelers to? Uh, to, to generate code and then go back from code to the model back and forth. Is this a realistic thing or is that not what uh, the essential modeler is for? Okay. No, essential modeler is, uh, uh, I, I would uh, exaggerate if I said this is where, uh, I mean, we believe that is how it should be done in many, many cases. So um, let me talk more about uh, tools in general, uh, not about uh, essential modeling. Okay. Uh, I mean, today, uh, if you go back 20 years, uh, there were many tools that actually did this uh, quite elegantly. Um, we did uh, modeling in uh, in some particular, in UML, for instance, and then we could generate code. And we could also go from the code and generate a model. Mm-hmm. And that worked uh, quite uh, elegantly for some applications. Now, uh, as soon as you introduce uh, frameworks and um, uh, uh, reusable assets mm-hmm. or, or web, web services or more available t- uh, existing reusable assets, I should say, this becomes... Um, much more complicated, and the tools were not uh, efficient to to go back and forth. Uh, and uh, I think uh, I don't want to talk too much about tooling because uh, this is not where I'm an expert. But mm-hmm. there is no doubt that uh, there are companies that are very successful in in going uh, generating code and and going back from the code to the model. So we change the code and we change the model. But this is we have not generally solved this problem, um, as I understand it. But I must make that reservation again. I'm not really up to date on what what tooling facilities we have. You know, the tooling here, I think, is the huge issue. It really ties back to this whole point of uh, you build stuff in UML, and that creates this model that folks look at, and then they start constructing the code, and you're never really sure that the app you built actually reflects the model that was designed there's never i've never seen an implementation yet and maybe you can correct me here that actually had that full feedback loop of model to code back to model okay uh, yeah i have seen it and there are tools that actually do it but it's in a specific domains uh, i i have a feeling that the more frameworks we use the more complex is this problem is to solve well rational rose was all about that wasn't it um, not originally, but uh, later on it became, and and in particular the tools that came after Rational Rose, yeah. namely uh, XDE or whatever they call them at Rational. I, I was not really involved in tool development, yeah. but um, uh, I think there is no doubt that this is what we want to do. And the question is if 
if, if we have a tools that can help us do it. On the Visual Studio side, we have the White Horse Designer, which became integrated into Visual Studio. But you never hear people talking about using it. I never hear people talking about using it anymore. Maybe maybe it's just a reflection on how I don't get around much. But uh, I don't know. What do you think about that, Richard? I I think the yeah the problem really is that we want to be able to build a model that not necessarily generates all the code for us, but definitely connects to the code in such a way right. that you do get a sense of the reflection of the model. This is the same problem as requirements. You know, you write the requirements document and then it dies yeah. because you go off and do stuff and and don't main the effort to maintain the the requirements document or maintain the model is too great. Mm. So uh, there are, I mean, things are changing, and uh, uh, I, I would very, I would like to be clear about uh, where I think we we are moving. I mean, the reason we do models uh, is because it actually is sometimes some aspects of a system is easier to understand using models, and so and and then um, uh, in some way there is. The model is represented by the implementation. So, for instance, at least at uh, some higher level, we have uh, identified subsystem. We have identified interfaces between these subsystems. We would like to see these uh, represented by some kind of bigger components or, or, or and interface of these components. Or in the, in the some uh, so so in the actual implementation, we will see, we want to see the the uh, uh, seamlessness bit, um, between the model, the diagrams describing the product we are developing, and the code. So this drive will be there. Uh, and the only reason we don't do it is that we don't have the tools to help us do it. And now I know there are tools that help us a lot to do that. Mm. Uh, the modern tools actually help us quite a lot to do these things. And it's also dependent on how uh, framework vendors document their frameworks. If these vendors would document them using UML so they could be reusable also on the model level, mm. uh, it would be much easier. So um, I believe that uh, uh, the drive to get there is very strong uh, because it simplifies the life for people. Otherwise, we won't do modeling and, and just go to code on it. Some systems are just too complex to understand if hmm. you just look at the code. I, I've read that you're uh, that you have integrated the essential unified process into tools such as Eclipse and uh, and also Microsoft Visual Studio Team yes. System. How exactly does that work? Okay, so again, you're asking me to talk about tools, and yeah. we have uh, uh, much better experts. In, experts in, in my company that can talk about it. But well, basically, it works like this. Uh, so we are not talking about uh, only essential unified process. We are basically talking about practices in general. So you can, um, uh, in our um, tool, let's call it a tool, it's a, a platform on top of which you can describe your practices and uh, you can execute your practices. So we integrate uh, this tool with VSTS and um, 2010 now. And uh, we, um, when people develop software and want to, to follow uh, practices that are described using our, our tool here, yes, we call that tool S-Work, by the way. Mm. It stands for essential work. And um, uh, people from our tool uh, and specifying uh, what you want to get done. You want to move from this state of a system to this state, let's say, a state where you have uh, tested the software. Then you can generate uh, work items. These work items are integrated or, or are connected to VSTS. And uh, then you can... Uh, do all the work you want to do in the VSTS environment. But as soon as you've all the planning, all the, the work to, to assign tasks and so on, but as soon as you actually, anyone, a developer, I suppose, uh, want to do something, 
they will get the uh, from the VSTS environment, they get a pointer into S work and find the practice description, how to do the job there. And they can follow that practice description and uh, do the work items in VSTS. So it's a very nice integration. And today, uh, I don't know exactly today, but I mean, we are talking about having uh, the ability to do use cases and do iterative development in this, um, in this environment. So part of this central unified process uh, is or will be available, tightly integrated with VSTS. That's great. Hey, I just want to give a shout out real quick to our friends at Data Dynamics who uh, make ActiveReports.net, among other really awesome things. ActiveReports.net is great because uh, it allows you to just build your reports with an easy editor, embed them right in your application, provide PDF and HTML output, give your end users a report editor, royalty-free, of course, a great access report upsizing wizard, and all this for a price that isn't going to break the bank. ActiveReports.net from Data Dynamics. Go check it out now at datadynamics.com. Ivar, I saw a part of a presentation you did called Do We Really Know How to Develop Software? Hmm. And yeah. uh, it it really resonated with me because obviously we've been building software. But what did you mean when you asked that question? Um, I think uh, as a... So, so back to the, I have one slide in this uh, presentation which yeah. I says something like this. We all know how to build our software, but we don't know, we don't as a community know how to build software. It means we have very little um, common knowledge about what software engineering actually is about. Um, we, uh, um, we use very different vocabulary and we uh, train our students uh, in uh, examples of methodology. We train them in, in some universities, we train extreme programming. Others, we train RUT. They train uh, third, they train uh, SCOP, and so on. And so it's particular instances. And when they come out, they don't have a solid experience and knowledge about what software engineering is all about. And um, <clears throat> this has, um, has been... Um, my uh, concerns for a long time, um, and we uh, we look like we are a fashion industry. Uh, mm. So, f- fifteen years ago, we all believed in objects or something like that. Uh, uh, Ten years ago, it uh, uh, started to move more to components. Uh, by the way, don't take my years too seriously. Yeah. Maybe even more. And uh, then we had a period when RUP and unified process was. Uh, the fashion, right? And uh, we had CMMI. It's very fashionable six, seven years ago. It's, uh, I don't hear almost nothing about it today. Um, and uh, just a couple of years ago, we had uh, talked about extreme programming. And today, extreme programming is, uh, is really not a la mode. Now it's Scrum. And, um, uh, this is, uh, and, and with every one of them, we throw away, every new fashion, we throw away the good things we have with the bad things. <laughs> and so we don't stand on the shoulders of giants. We, we basically swing from one hero to the next. And uh, I believe this is one of the most serious problems we have in, in the software engineering field. We don't really know how to do it. Uh, even if Many of us can develop software for a specific purpose. It's really not based on any underlying uh, theory or foundation. So this is uh, what I've been working with quite uh, intensely for the last six months. Is it just because that every project has its own set of requirements and, and uh, priorities? Yes, that is uh, definitely true. But you mentioned two words here that are, are uh, generic. And its, gener- its requirement is a word you can say belongs to all software. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can em- mention priority is 
consultant something that belongs to all software developers. But then with specific requirements right. or specific for a particular project. Right. Those are always going to change. So what uh, what we have done, um, uh, we have now, we have 31 um, uh, people who have uh, made some impact on the software industry over the last 30 years, uh, including people who have worked uh, with Agile. Uh, so we have, um, uh, and, and modern technology, I mean, people, the latest technology. And we have agreed that uh, uh, the software engineering disciplines are immature. And uh, not to say that there are, there are some that are mature, but we don't have a common agreement on them. Uh, that's the other concern we have. We we don't have a common agreed upon uh, practices and uh, or, or or platform for how to build software. And uh, we hold a research industry and the research um, um, community, universities, and so on. And the industry are not to- basically uh, working together. They are split, and all these are good are signs that we are we have we should do something. So, um, uh, thirty-one of us have signed a call for action statement that we want to to change this. We want to find a kernel of um, commonly agreed upon elements that we always have when we develop software, basically. And this kernel should be extensible, so we can add uh, uh, new stuff to the kernel. We can add uh, uh, practices, we can add patterns, we can have methods, and so on. We believe there is such a kernel, and we want to identify that kernel. And uh, so basically it's about an extensible kernel. Hmm. So these are like, every time, no matter what, you should be doing acts. I, I, I used to say I, I, I don't want to uh, dictate something. Uh, I think it's more like uh, these are things we naturally always do when we develop software. Uh, and uh, then on top of these things we basically o- always do. Uh, or always, I mean, there are some things we don't always do, but we, uh, we, we, these are the things we always should do, yes. Or the things we then, think about. Uh, yeah, then uh, uh, you can add the specific way of doing this. For instance, we we always have a uh, we always have a project, uh, and uh, there is always um, a project plan. But that project plan may not be be documented, so it's in the head of people. Uh, some people don't document things. Some people document, and we don't want to preclude, let's say. Uh, um, ways of working that are not the um, most excellent. So basically, this kernel can be used to describe any project, whether it's a good or bad. But we know that these things are there or should be there. <clears throat> and uh, so it, it's basically all of us in this group will um, will uh, have a chance to agree on participate in discussing, and we hopefully can get an agreement on what is this kernel. But the kernel must be extensible, so you can add your own stuff, your own specific way of working. So it, uh, the kernel is, uh, is what I say, practice agnostic. Hmm. I have an observation about developers that you might, might want to comment on or might share, in that I, th- I find that as human beings, we tend to want something new every few years, and especially with software and especially with computers because, you know, we get a new computer every few years as a developer just to keep up with power and, you know, features and things like that. Operating systems are always, you know, coming out newer newer and better, and we want our tools to improve. We want our methodologies to improve. So we're always looking for the next thing. If we're If we finally come to the perfect software development solution, you know what? We're going to want to change it. Because that's yes. who we are as as human beings, so yes. uh, I think that that's just a, a force that you ha- that we're always having to deal with, and it especially in uh, in 
in methodologies, in languages, and in tools? Yes, but I mean, we realize that. And so this kernel will, of course, have to change too. We realize that uh, by making it extensible, you can add new practices that replace the old practices. But there is something fundamental about software development that we really don't have a, a um, desires to to change uh, more than, let's say, every five, ten years. And you have it for rational reasons, not just for fashion. Um, the problem we have today is that uh, uh, we change things without really changing anything. Uh, if you look at uh, the most fashionable methodology today, it's only about 10% that really is different or less. Uh, but uh, by changing terminology and changing everything else, it looks like everything is new. And the newcomers to the industry have not learned anything. They have no solid, uh, stable foundation to stand on. So they easily swing to these new new uh, trends. Yeah, I see. So, I mean, yeah, I agree with it, you. Uh, I, I think uh, we need to resist uh, pure fashion changes. Yeah, well, good luck with that. I mean, it's good <laughs> enough for what for us to resist it. I can resist it, but the mobs, the masses, uh, always have this. We need the latest and greatest. We still need it. I mean, we need it, but we don't need to change terminology every time. No, of course it. not, Richard. Didn't we just get an email recently from somebody who said, you know, .NET smells old to him, and he yeah. just wants something new for the sake of wanting something new. Yeah, here we are yeah. in version four, and what's next? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Uh, so, <clears throat> and we invent new things too. Uh, uh, I mean, I don't uh, disagree with you. There may be a, um, uh, a component or ingredient of um, pure fashion in in what we are doing. Uh, I mean, it has definitely been like that, mm. um, and it has been like that for. <clears throat> All the time, I've developed software too. Yeah. So, uh, uh, but but it actually um, there are signs of uh, tiredness uh, of of uh, these uh, purely fashion hmm. changes. So I think that will still be there, but I don't think it will be as strong when people, if people are better educated in what really is foundations of software. And that's what you're uh, doing. People knew. Uh, yeah. If everyone who, who goes to university learns some basic software engineering, and uh, they once they have learned this basic, they learn different methodologies. Mm. Uh, they learn not only one methodology, but they learn uh, two or three. They can start to see what really is new and what really is um, uh, just the repetition of what we already have. And I also feel that many methodologies, I mean, at least those who are successful, by by knowing they have a, they have a common knowledge like this, they don't need to rediscover the whole world to introduce something new. Right. So, uh, I mean, when you in the old days, talking about when I personally introduced uh, um, what became RUP, Unified Process. I mean, I had to describe all the things, and not only describe things that were new, but I also had to describe old things because I needed a complete methodology. And that is just uh, um, not really healthy. Instead, mm. uh, uh, what I should do is describe my new practices and be able to present my practices in a more common framework. Do you see in the universities today the, that uh, software engineering is being taught incorrectly? Uh, I missed your last word. Incorrectly? Well... Some universities, okay, we have a whole wide, widespread uh, education, and, and I must admit that I'm not an expert, but I think there is something here I have seen, and that some universities have very strong computer science uh, uh, background. So they have professors that have been successful in, in more basic computer science. Um, and their education is usually... And very different from what people, in many cases, very different from what the students can will get when they get to out of the industry. Mm. It's uh, more academic and uh, 
not necessarily something that is easily used. But, but I must say, that education be maybe actually better than uh, the, the other example, because at least students learn something foundation, some, mm. some basic stuff. Now, you go to many other universities around the world, and um, uh, they, they really try to teach methodologies. So I, I know many universities that teach a unified process or, or rational unified process uh, around the world. But they teach basically one methodology. So when people come out, they are not uh, capable of, uh, uh, of com- comparing or, or uh, understanding um, at its roots with something new. So they, they basically give up uh, day one when someone can and tell them, this is a new methodology we're going to use. And it's uh, fundamentally new, even if it's not new. So I, I see that too. Um, uh, they they may teach RUP and they teach extreme programming or teach Scrum. They as soon as the students come out, they have really no foundation. They have learned one instance of a methodology. I'm wondering just how many different projects you need to do before you really get that sense of the full scope of the of project methodologies. I think. Uh, it depends on individuals. Uh, you know, some individuals are able to basically review what they have and come up with some common uh, commonality between what they have learned and have some experience that they actually can rely on. But I think most people don't have that. They they will they learn by example and they have a difficulty to basically they get confused. Uh, and and feel the life is terrible. Now I have to learn another methodology. Uh, and uh, there is, for them, the future is just gray. I, I've seen that uh, loud and clearly. Uh, so that's why I believe having a, a, this initiative we are now working on and, and have a lot of support for. It's about 1,000 people that are supporting initiative and uh, that has happened very uh, just quickly in a very few weeks so um, there is a lot of belief that uh, first of all uh, agreement that uh, the situation we have is uh, not sustainable uh, the fashion and no communication or very little communication between universities and industry and and uh, I mean these problems I mentioned earlier and that there is a way forward which is different from other initiatives in the past because it focused on this small thing, that is the kernel. What is the kernel? What is it that we always do when we develop software? Uh, it's absolutely not sexy or ex- exciting in any way because we do it. But it works as a basis for describing what we really want to do, the real specifics about how we develop software. So I think uh, uh, this is one initiative. There, or this is not the, this would not uh, be a salvation for the world, but it actually will move us uh, forward if we are successful. Uh, if we're not successful, it still helps us to understand what kind of problem we have. Well, Ivar, we're just about out of time, but boy, I, I just can't tell you how happy I am to have you on the show and to talk to you about this great stuff. So thank you for your contributions to the software development world, and, and thanks for spending an hour with us here. Thank you. It was really pleasure. All right. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website, 
at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a, a time boy. Life is hard.